Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody this morning. It's so good to be together. We also are grateful for our Fenwick Island campus joining us right now. Let's give our Fenwick Island campus a big hand. Thank you for being with us today. So good to be together, both campuses. And then we have, of course, a campus in Rehoboth that's meeting right now and uh, just re reaching hundreds of people in that community. So it's so excited to see what's happening in the Bay Bayshore family. So we're so glad you're here this morning. We're starting a brand new series today called All the Feels. And this series is about the different emotions that we experience in life, how we can negotiate and deal with those emotions. I think every emotion is legitimate in some way. It's just how we handle it. So in this series, we're going to be talking about different emotions over the next five weeks that we all encounter and deal with. So today we're going to be dealing with one of, I think, one of the most important emotions of all, and that is the emotion of anxiety, how we deal with anxiety. And uh, it's incredible to think how many people every week deal with uh, a sense of foreboding, a sense of worry, a sense of fear. And I think that's one of the most common emotions that all of us feel. So you think about, you know, uh, here's an, uh, uh, one of the definitions of anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an, an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So when you think about your emotions and anxiety, anxiety has to do with imagining what that future is going to look like, what's going to happen out there, and you can't, you, you really can't do anything about it, but in the present moment, you're miserable about trying to present some, prevent some misery in the future. So anxiety is one of those really key things we all deal with. Some, maybe uh, one way is to get a hold of uh, what anxiety is all about is look at some synonyms for anxiety, some words that are like anxiety. Uh, worry, that's a good synonym, synonym for anxiety. And uh, stressed or stressed out, apprehension, nervousness, concern, panic. Some people are having panic attacks, uh, dread, uneasiness, fear. Uh, or to be troubled about something. So those are some of the things that, that have to do with anxiety, some of the words that kind of uh, deal with that. And we feel anxiety about different things. And here's what I think. I think all of us have our own particular anxieties, particular things we feel anxiety about. I think some of us, you know, feel anxious about some things that other people have no anxiety about. Uh, like, for instance, one of the things that I do every week is I give public speaks, uh, speeches and I get up here and speak. And do you know that the number one fear, the number one fear of people is public speaking? That is, a, the fear of death is number three. So public speaking is a big, big deal. And I have to say, I was a little anxious about giving the anxiety message today. So... Uh, so anxiety in public speaking is something I do. Jerry Seinfeld says that, you know, because of public speaking is the number one fear and death is number three, he said, when you go to a funeral, the guy giving the eulogy would rather be the guy in the coffin than the guy up there giving the, uh, the speech there. So uh, that's something that, that I have to wrestle with, with anxiety. I love what Zig Ziglar says. Everybody gets butterflies before they speak. The idea is just to get them to fly in formation. So uh, that's something that, uh, that I deal with. That's one of my anxieties that I deal with. But we all have different anxieties. You know, here's one of the things that I think a lot of us have anxiety about, and that is having too much to do having too much to do. You've got too many things to accomplish in too short a time. 
And how many have ever felt that way uh, here at Millsboro and Femic Island? You've just had too much to do. You can't pull it off. And I mean, it's just so much. And you're worried about how am I going to get done everything that I need to get done this week? That's a really, really tough thing. And I know that can be really, really difficult for a lot of people. And it, sometimes what you have to do about that is if you feel like you've got too much to do, sometimes that's a boundary issue, a boundary issue, meaning that you have said yes to some things you should have said no to. So whenever you feel anxious about too much to do, one of the questions to ask yourself is, am I saying yes to some things I need to say no to? And so sometimes you just sort of need to do an inventory of your schedule and sort of cut, cut some things out every year. Uh, right after Christmas, uh, the week before Christmas and New Year's, I always do an inventory of my, my closet. We've got a walk-in closet. And I've got shirts in there I haven't worn for years, you know. And I look at those shirts and I still move them around and in there. So I just like start throwing things out and do a, do a, a pruning of my closet. Sometimes you need to do a pruning of your schedule. Are there certain things that you need to stop doing? Now, there are certain things that you, 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 know, you can't control, uh, certain seasons of your life that are busy. If you are an accountant, for instance, you know, the tax season is going to be busier for you. So uh, everybody has different seasons where they're busy, seasons in life as well where they're busier. I know that I'm in a season of life where I'm extremely busy. I'm taking care of my dad and, and, uh, and my, you know, my surviving parent. I have grandkids, and so I'm sort of sandwiched between two generations where I'm helping my dad, helping my grandkids, and uh, all the responsibilities I have. So sometimes we have different uh, areas that we are responsible. But think about this. Some things you can't prune out of your schedule, but if you have some things you can prune out of your schedule, you can't prune your grandkids out of your schedule, can't prune your parents out of your schedule, but there's certain things maybe you can prune and just say, Lord, do I need to do this? A number of years ago, I was asked to do uh, oversee a ministerial organization of about 100 ministers, and uh, they had about 50 or 60 churches, and they said, you're great! You're great. You're such a great minister. We need you to lead this. And all I heard was, you're great. You're great. And I thought, wow, boy, they, they need me. So I signed up for that and got into that. And then I just, I just was too much to do. And I said yes to something I should, should have said no to. So how many have ever said yes to something that you know you should have said no to? That happens to all of us. So make sure that when you think about your anxiety, that you think about how can you prune your schedule down, keep it, keep it as, as simple as possible. You still want to volunteer in the church for sure. You still want to do certain things, but you want to make sure that you keep that in balance. So is it a boundary issue? Am I too busy because I need to say yes to get people to like me? Sometimes people have that issue. I've got to say yes because I need people to think I'm a hero. And that's a bad, a bad pattern to be in. So sometimes people are, are uh, anxious because they have too much to do. Uh, sometimes People are anxious because, because they're of work. Work can be a little bit anxious for them. They've got a, a boss that's really uh, demanding and supervising that's difficult. Maybe they're fearful about losing their job or the work just causes them some stress and all that. Sometimes people worry about money. That's why we offer Financial Peace University. That can cause a lot of stress, uh, sort of money issues. Uh, am I going to have enough money to get my kids through college? Am I going to have enough money to retire uh, when I get older? Some of us are coming up on that period or some people are in that stage of life. Do I have enough money? Will I have enough money to, uh, to retire? That kind of thing. Uh, that can stress us out. How about, how many have ever been stressed about being late? Being late. 
You're, you know, have you ever been trying to get somewhere on time and you're late and you're going down 24 and the person in front of you is on vacation? They're just like having the best time. They're just like chilling out and you're honking on the horn and blessing them in Jesus' name to hurry up, you know. I, I had an appointment this week. Uh, on Thursday in Rehoboth at 8 o'clock, and I left my house a little after 7, and I'm used to going to Rehoboth earlier in the morning, but 7 o'clock, just getting through Millsboro, there was traffic, and I had to wait in line, and this one stop stoplight for four or five times before I got up there, and, and there's this truck in front of me that's just kind of inching along, and so that created anxiety in me because I wasn't, I, I was running behind and I was late, so uh, uh, leaving early and all, that's a good good. Solution. Solution to that. How about this one? Uh, our friend, uh, a friend or relative's health. We feel anxious about sometimes our our loved ones, their health. We worry about them. My dad this week had a procedure. Some of you follow me on Facebook. My dad had a procedure where uh, he well, they had to check a watchman he had put over his heart, and while they were putting the little camera down his throat, they they act, uh, accidentally uh, you know punctured his esophagus. So my dad's been in the hospital. I've been with him this week, and uh, just watching him go through that. Obviously, those things make us we really concerned about our our loved one's health. You know, people that we worry about, we worry about their, their health and all that. And it's a sign of our love for them. We love them greatly and all of that. So that you got that going on. And then sometimes you worry about your own health, you know, and uh, relationships is another area that we have uh, anxiety about. We're having maybe trouble getting along with certain people, that type of thing, uh, that, that, those type of things. So lots of things that we can be concerned about. So, uh, so anxiety has a lot of different has a lot of different faces. There's a lot of things that create anxiety in us and that can kind of like capture our mind and our mind's kind of spinning real fast because we're thinking about certain things. Here's another thing to know about anxiety. Anxiety is a parent emotion. It's a parent emotion. Anxiety gives birth to other emotions. Um, and so when you think about anxiety, anxiety is like a foundation emotion that gives birth to other emotions. For instance, wherever you find anger, underneath anger, there's anxiety. Uh, when you are angry and you are losing your temper, there's something that you're afraid of. And, and everybody says, if you study uh, anger, and we're going to have a, a message solely on anger in this series, um, anger is a secondary emotion. So it comes out of other things. So if you are angry, there's something under that that you're anxious about. So to solve your anger problem, you have to look at your fear problem. What is your fear problem? Um, a number of years ago, I was in Germany. And I was uh, preaching uh, in, in Dusseldorf, and then I had to take a train. I, I don't remember all the geography of Germany. I'm not really good at that right now, but I, I know I was in one part of the country. I was in Dusseldorf, and I had to take a train to Augsburg where I was speaking. And they put me on this train. The missionary put me on the train all by myself, and I'm obviously there traveling, uh, preaching different places. And I go, uh, they take me uh, to Augsburg, and I ended up at Augsburg in the inner city of Augsburg, which is a pretty good-sized city in, in uh, Germany. Uh, and it was late at night when the train got there, and the person that was supposed to pick me up wasn't there. 
and they didn't show up. They were at a prayer meeting at the church or something. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm there, and, and there was some really seedy persons hanging around the train station there. It was a really not a good part of t- town, and I was really, really anxious about that. And I remember, you know, oh, my gosh, I was worked up about that issue, and I'm like, I'm dragging my suitcase down the street. I'm trying to find a hotel, and I don't speak German, and, uh, and it was just one of those really uh, unnerving experiences. Finally, the guy that was supposed to pick me up came, and when he came, and I got in the car, and I shared with him rather intensely, and uh, I just will put it that way. I shared with him rather intensely, and I'm thinking afterwards, you know, I go to my room, and say, oh, that was so inappropriate for, you know, someone that loves Jesus, but I just, and I realized that the anger came, and that my kind of short fuse, I'm using really nice words to describe this, uh, it all came from anxiety, because whenever you're anxious, there, and, and, and the fear comes, or anger comes out of that. So uh, another issue with anxiety, anxiety, uh, a lot of uh, addictive issues are directly related to anxiety. Uh, and I understand we got, you know, criminal issues we have to deal with, with drug use and all that. But really, in many, many respects, drug addiction has more to do with, uh, with anxiety issues and people are self-medicating. So anxiety is a parent emotion apparent emotion. So if you deal with anxiety, if you deal with anxiety, you actually solve a lot of other problems and it can really help you with uh, a lot of different things. So here's a, here's a couple things that we can do about where does anxiety come from. Let's think about the origin of anxiety. And so maybe if we understand the origin of anxiety would help us combat our anxiety a little bit. Now, so here's the number one place anxiety comes from. And there's not just one place anxiety comes from, but here's one place it comes from. Anxiety comes from our, 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 uh, the environment we grew up in. The environment we grew up in trained us how to respond to stress. The anxiety, the, uh, the, if you were raised in a, in a situation, an environment where uh, your parents respond to stress in a negative, anxious way, you had that model before you and you picked up that pattern more than likely. So you have to think about that. Anxiety is directly connected to how you saw people respond to stress in your life. And for instance, when I was uh, growing up, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, loved her dearly. My, she's just wonderful. Just, she was just uh, one of the, my favorite people in my whole life. Still just every day think about her, such a wonderful woman. But we would go pick her up. I lived in a house, and there was a field across from the house, and that my grandmother lived in a little farmhouse across from it. So we'd go pick her up to take her shopping, and I would be in the back seat with my sisters, and my mom would be driving, and we would pull up in the dirt driveway, little dirt driveway coming up to her farmhouse. My grandmother would come out of the house, and she had a blue coat on. She had one of those scarves on her head and her, her black patent pocketbook, and she would lock the door. And she would start to walk down the steps and then she'd turn around and she would look in the window of the door and that you could see from the window of the door, you could see her stove and she would peer in there to make sure that she didn't leave the stove on. And she would look there, it seemed like the longest time. And in our car, in our car, we're all making fun of my grandmother, my mom, because she did this all the time. And we were very dysfunctional families. We're making fun of her. (laughs) And so she would turn around. And she would walk down halfway down the steps and then she would stop and she would turn around again and she would go back up and she would look in the window and look at the stove again. 
and she just said, we're all making fun of her in the car because we're a very dysfunctional family. So she would do that. And sometimes she would start down again and she would do it three times, three times. She was anxious about leaving the stove on and the house burning down. So when I went to University of Delaware, I used to go to, you know, class. And you remember those uh, chairs that have little baskets under? I think we had a picture of them. They, you know, they had little baskets under them, and you put your books in there. And so I would put my, uh, I would put my books in uh, the little basket underneath that, uh, that I wasn't using for that particular class. I would sit through the class, take notes. And when I would get ready to leave, I would turn around, and, and I would you know, get out of my desk, and I would gather the books put them in my, my satchel and I would look real good and I would put my satchel on and I would go out the door. I'd walk down the hallway a little bit and I would stop and I would think, I wonder if some of my books fell out of the basket and are behind the desk. And so I would go back in and I would look again and I would do that. That was a repetitive thing I did. And one day it occurred to me that I was checking to see if I left the stove on because I had learned anxiety from my grandma. And so I saw that modeled for me hundreds and hundreds of times. My grandmother also was incredibly scared of storms. And because she was scared of storms, we used to torment her by telling her storms were coming that weren't coming <laughs> because we were a very dysfunctional family. <laughs> and when a storm was coming, she saw it on the news, she would literally be full of anxiety hours before that storm arrived. And one day I was talking to my grandmom and she said when she was a little girl that her dad was also afraid of storms. And her dad was so afraid of storms that if a storm came up in the middle of the night, he would get the whole family up, would put them in the car and they would drive to a neighbor's house to stay with a neighbor during the storm. So she learned her anxiety. So anxiety is something that we are model, modeled before us. Here's a great uh, quote by Brigitte Katz, and I don't know if we have it on the screen here. Brigitte Katz has got this uh, great quote about how we pass on anxiety. Uh, Witnessing a parent in a state of anxiety can be more than just momentarily unsettling for children. Can momentarily unsettling for children. Witnessing a parent in a state of anxiety can be more than just a momentary unsettling for children. Kids look to their parents for information about how to interpret, interpret ambiguous situations. If a parent seems consistently anxious and fearful, the child will determine that a variety of scenarios are unsafe. And there is evidence that children of anxious parents are more likely to exhibit anxiety themselves, a probable combination of genetic risk factors and learned behaviors. So we think about our anxiety. Anxiety, many times we learn that from the environment we grew up in. Another factor for anxiety, I think for a lot of us, is the incredible stimuli of information that we have. Now, there was a time when you lived that you only knew about the trouble in your village, what was going on in your village. Now, I have a smartphone in my pocket, and every time Apple News has a big tragedy in the world, my phone vibrates in my pocket, and I pull it out, and I realize that there's a tornado or an earthquake in Turkey. So we have all of this information. So sometimes we have so much information and we are so bombarded with everything that happens in the world. And there's a good side to that, 
but there's also a bad side of that. And I've been thinking, you know, this world's a big place, but my father owns this world. And it says the earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof. And I need to sometimes, and maybe all of us sometimes, need to just sing that little song that we learned in Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And if he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands as well. Can you say big amen? So we have to combat that. So we have all of those things. So how can we um, deal with anxiety? How can we deal with anxiety? Here's a, here's a couple things uh, that we can do to deal with anxiety. The cure for anxiety is to invite the Lord, to invite the Lord into the moments of your life that you're anxious about. Invite the Lord into the moments of your life that you are anxious about. Now here's the deal. When we are anxious... We are envisioning a moment in the future that God is not with us and we are by ourselves. When we are anxious, we are envisioning a moment in the future where we are going to face something that we are by ourselves and God is not with us. Anxiety comes from a thinking process that God is absent, that God is absent. It's when we understand that God is present with us. He's present with us in these moments in the future that make us anxious, that when we recognize the presence uh, of God with us, that anxiety dissipates. Anxiety is connected to us thinking we have to face something alone. It's imagining something where you are by yourself and God is not with you. Maybe, for instance, you worry about losing your parents. And you think, what am I ever going to do in that moment? And notice how you're, you're framing that. What am I ever going to do in that moment? Or maybe you have to make a presentation at work and all these people are there. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to do that? How am I ever going to do that? Your language is saying, this is something I have to do. Anxiety comes from facing life alone. Let me tell you something. You know, we are not designed as human beings. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter uh, how much money you have. It doesn't matter uh, how, uh, how many uh, degrees you have. Human beings are not designed to face life without the assistance of God. We need God to be with us because when we see God with us at a certain moment, anxiety dissipates. But when we see ourselves facing that by ourselves, we're filled with anxiety. So say this with me. Anxiety is imagining a moment in the future when God is not with you. Now let me show you in Scripture how this is the principle of Scripture uh, about how to deal with anxiety. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, that's a future statement. When you go through some adversity, when you pass through the waters, that's speaking to the future, I will be with you. The antidote for anxiety is an awareness of the presence of God. Lift your hand up, your right hand up right now and say, Lord, you are with me all the time. You're omniscient. You're omniscient omnipresent, and you're omnipotent. Maybe you don't know what any of those words mean. Omniscient means he knows everything. Omnipotent means he's all-powerful. And omnipresent means he's always 
with you. Look at Isaiah 43.5. Isaiah 43.5. Do not be afraid. Afraid. Being afraid is the same concept as anxiety. Do not be afraid. Why? For I am with you. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. Very, very important principle for us to see. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Um, Joshua is the new guy. He's leading the children of Israel in the promised land. He's a little nervous. He has to follow Moses. Moses had a pretty good track record. He, you know, he led uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt by 10 miracles, and then he crossed the Red Sea, and so Joshua's the next guy up. You know, so he's feeling some pressure there. And uh, here's what it says. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all the Israel, be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Listen to verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. So whenever I'm anxious, for instance, sometimes I have to do very difficult things, you know, and you do as well. We all have different challenges we have to deal with. Sometimes I have to do very, very challenging funerals uh, where something tragic happened and people are in grief. And I feel some anxiety about that as I come into that situation. And I have to slow myself down and say, Lord, this is not something I'm doing as I'm standing in front of these grieving people. But I'm standing in front of these grieving people as your instrument and you're with me. And when you picture God with you at a moment that you're dreading, the anxiety dissipates and the Lord gives you the peace that you need. So when you see God with you and you understand he's with you, it helps you to navigate that situation. I grew up in the Methodist church. Uh, how many used to be Methodist or, you know, in, in Femic Island and here? Raise your hand if you used to be a Methodist. You know, hey, I had Methodist background. So Methodist churches, you know, I'm not putting out Methodist churches. You know, I had a lot of fine naps in those churches. So anyhow, I was like a I just, I remember being in those churches and, and just, you know, and I remember my dad was a Methodist pastor and I remember some great moments and great things happened there, but I used to look at the artwork in Methodist churches and I, I thank the Lord for the pictures. I used to look at the pictures. How many were ever at church and look at pictures in the church, you know? I, I would look at these pictures in the stained glass window and that really, really spoke to me. But there was one picture uh, in the Methodist church of a young man sailing. He was sailing a, a ship here. And Jesus was behind him. How many remember seeing this picture in a, in a religious service you were at anywhere? Anybody remember this picture? I used, there was a couple Methodist churches we had, that my dad pastored, that had this picture. And I used to look at this picture. And it shows a young man, his face is full of serenity, and he's sailing in a storm. And as he's sailing in the storm, the Lord is with him, and the Lord's present with him at that challenging moment. And there's another version of uh, this picture that I saw uh, that uh, we found. And here's the same picture, a guy in a storm and the presence of Jesus with him, helping him. So anxiety, anxiety, how you conquer anxiety is you invite the Lord into that moment that you're anxious about. As you're, as you're thinking about something you're anxious about, Lord, I've been saying, what am I going to do? But that's not the right thing to say. I invite you into that moment with me. And that's how, one of the ways that we conquer anxiety. When I was a kid growing up, uh, four or five years old, my parents took me to the Sharptown Carnival. Now, if you're not from here, you maybe not know what 
Carnival's Art, fire, fire, uh, different fire companies had these carnivals. How many in this congregation ever been to Sharptown Carnival? Been there? Lots of little, Mike, like two-thirds. I don't know if anybody in Fenwick Island has, maybe some of you have. But uh, Sharptown Carnival, I was four or five years old, and my parents went because they have these great oyster sandwiches. And if you haven't had one of those oyster sandwiches, they will kill you in three days, but it's worth it, I'm telling you. <laughs> They're like cooked in lard, not, the, not praise the lard, I mean lard. And, and they're just amazing. But I remember as a little kid, I was there, and I'm having fun. And my dad, I, with my dad, and we go to this uh, little, you know, kiosk in the middle, and there's a, a bingo wheel that's spinning around, and people are playing bingo. And, and I was just fascinated with that bingo wheel. My dad was buying some tickets for uh, rides or something, and he's doing that, and I'm watching the bingo ride and, and or the bingo wheel go around. And my dad, I guess he forgot that I was with him, or maybe he was trying to ditch me. I don't know. My dad just walked away, and he went to find my mom. I guess he was thinking that I was with my mom. And I remember, you know, it's one of my earliest memories of my childhood, and I was traumatized. I looked around, and my dad wasn't there, and I began to cry, and I was nervous, and I was just so upset, and, and I had these little white shorts on, and a, and a blue and white and red shirt, and I'm a little kid, and, you know, just, just adorable, I'm sure, so uh, <laughs> I'm walking around crying, and my, uh, the people, the carnival people, they found me, and they took me to a you know, a little thing in the middle that had a microphone, and they said, hey, there's this little boy here, his name's Danny Tice, and he's, you know, he's lost, and he's got a little white shorts on, and this red and white and blue shirt, and if you're his parents, please come, and of course, my parents came running, and they hugged me and kissed me, and they said, we're so thankful you knew your name, you told them your name, they had, <laughs> they told me, if you ever get lost, just tell people your name, and I thought, I'm four years old, they think I'm a moron, what is this, you know, like, when I think back on that story, what I think really caused me so much anxiety was I felt absent from my father, that my father was not beside me, and I felt his absence. And the anxiety that we experience in life always comes, always comes from a way of thinking about life that God is absent from us. But when you invite God into those moments and, his, and your father is with you, the power of your anxiety is broken. The power of your anxiety is broken. And some of you, you struggle constantly with being anxious. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I have to say, uh, I'm one of those people. I'm the person that has to really ask the Lord to help me with anxiety because it's very, very real to me in many ways. But it's always, always about something in the future that really intimidates me, and I see myself facing that by myself. But when I invite the Lord into that moment, fear not, I will redeem you when you pass through the waters. I will be with you. And I say to myself, Lord, when I face this, when I get to that moment, you will be with me. And you are the present one. And when he's present, anxiety disappears. The last thing 
that helps us with anxiety is to understand the magnitude of God's concern for us, uh, knowing God really cares about us. Uh, this is an important principle because here's the deal. Uh, when we are convinced that God is concerned about us and God loves us, it helps us with anxiety. Here's, here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Listen to this. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So, Lord, when I'm feeling anxious, I have to say, Lord, I, I don't even, I can't even comprehend much how much you love me and how much you care for me. So cast all your care on him because, cast all your anxiety on him, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Say it with me. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, I don't know what the details of your situation look like and how that's going to come out. I can just tell you that he loves you. He cares for you. Charles Spurgeon said, um, God is too wise or God is too good to be unkind, too wise to make his mistake. I may not always be able to trace his hand, but I can always trust his heart. God is too wise to make a mistake, too loving to be unkind. I may not always be able to trace his hand, but I can always trust his heart. God loves me and he cares about me. Jesus uh, was with the disciples one time, Mark chapter 4. He's in the boat. He's in the boat with them and it's on the little Sea of Galilee, 13 miles long sea. Uh, and, and, and Jesus is tired and the, uh, and the boat is kind of rocking back and forth. And Jesus has been in the sun. He's been teaching. He's been walking. And the rocking of that boat puts Jesus to sleep and he goes to sleep. And then a storm comes up. And as the storm comes up upon the Sea of Galilee, which happens very frequently, there's these hills on the uh, east side of the Sea of Galilee, and the wind comes down through those little valleys, and it stirs up the sea very quickly. And there's this terrible, terrible storm. And the disciples who are fishermen know about storms and all that, but this must have been a, the mother of all storms, and they're really afraid. And they go, they go to Jesus, and what do they say to Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? So when you understand and when I understand the grace of God, the love of God, he loves you more than you can imagine because he loves you and you know he loves you, your anxiety can dissipate because you know that he is with you and he cares about you. Say this with me here at Fenwick Island and uh, everybody at Millsboro, say this together. God loves me more than I can imagine. Therefore, I can cast my care upon him because he cares for me. So when I was uh, one time, Karen, uh, had, uh, actually it was, a, it was Joel. Joel had a uh, field trip at school. Uh, he was going to Epworth, I think it was in sixth grade or seventh grade, I think seventh grade maybe. It was his, they had this big field trip they were going to go to, uh, to, to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg. And they were supposed to get up like at five o'clock in the morning and meet the bus. And so I was in Germany at the time speaking. And so Karen was, you know, she was, wasn't sleeping well. So she had taken the alarm off 
uh, to take a nap in the afternoon. Then she'd set the alarm to get up early the next uh, morning for Joel's uh, field trip, and she forgot to turn the little button on. And so what happened was is that she woke up with the sun coming in to the windows, and all of a sudden she realized, oh, my gosh. She'd overslept, and then Joel realized she'd overslept, and Joel was like screaming, oh, my gosh, my first field trip. You're a terrible mother. You know, anyhow, he's doing all that. He wasn't, he probably didn't say that out loud, but anyhow, he was there. <laughs> so she, this is before cell phones were, everybody had, I think one person in the church, in, in the school had a cell phone, uh, and it was four GPSs, and Karen loads up both boys, jumps in the car, and drives toward Williamsburg. And she's driving as hard as she can, and Joel's crying in the back seat, and, and she's driving, not knowing where she's going. And she gets to the Bay Bridge Tunnel, and she asks the people at the gate there, and they try to tell her how to get to Bush Gardens, and she finally gets there. And she did everything she could to make sure that little boy was okay. And um, we had to pay for Joel to get in, and for Tim to get in, and for Karen to get in. So they got to Bush Gardens. And I just thought about the commitment that she had, the commitment she had to get him to something that meant a lot to him. She loves him so much. And let me tell you something. God loves us. I still don't understand and I cannot comprehend how much my father loves me. And it's a quest for my life to really get closer and closer to an understanding of how much the Lord loves me. If you ever read the book of um, the Gospel of John, five times in the book, Gospel of John, John who wrote the book, I think I told you this a couple weeks ago, John, who wrote the book, Gospel of John, he said, the one whom the Lord loves, the one whom the Lord loves, the one whom the Lord loves. Five times he is writing about himself, the one whom the Lord loves. He knew how much the Lord loves him. So say it with me one more time. Everybody at Femic Island, everybody here at Millsboro, cast your care on him because he cares for you. The last thing I'll say about anxiety is remember the futility of anxiety. The futility of anxiety. Anxiety... And worrying is a waste of time because it's absolutely futile. Nothing, worrying never accomplishes anything. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, which of you by worrying can add one cubic to its height? In other words, he said, if you want to be taller and you worry about being short and you wish you were taller and you worry and worry, all your worrying will never make you taller. So worrying is futile. Worry is like having the backyard full of leaves and you go into the backyard with an imaginary rake and you rake with your imaginary rake and you come inside and you look at the yard and not one leaf has been moved. Worrying is futile. So when you start worrying about something, worrying about something in the past you did, you can't change that. You have to ask the Lord to forgive you. It's got to be done with that. Worrying about something in the future, you know, and wishing that, you can't. You can't control the future. Somebody said that anxiety comes not from so much thinking about the future as thinking that you can control the future. So you can't control it. They did this study. A guy named uh, Lucas, um, this guy, this PhD guy from, he was a Frenchman. Uh, and he, he, he did this study where they uh, did this uh, interview with all these people that hang, uh, had anxiety. And they asked them every night at 10 o'clock for like a week, what did you worry about today? How long did you worry about it? And they just, they had to keep a log of all the stuff they worried about. And they came back 20 days later and 91.4% of the things they worried about never happened. 91.4% of the things they worried about never happened. 
Mark Twain said, I've seen a lot of trouble in my life that never happened. Seen a lot of trouble in my life that never happened. Now, there are things that happen, and God helps us, but a lot of worry is futile. Say this, worry is a wasted time, and I'm not going to waste any time this week feeling anxious. Everybody here at Millsboro, let's raise our hand. Everybody at Family Island, let's raise our hands together. Lord, as we come into this brand new week, Lord, we start this new week uh, casting our care on you because you care for us. This is going to be a good week. You're going to help us. You're going to strengthen us. You're going to give us the power we need this week. And there's not any moment in our future that you don't stand beside us. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that needs to receive you as our hands are raised and as they're thinking about you, we pray that you would come into their heart and change them and make them followers of Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Amen.